We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So it's mailbag time, and we've got uh, we've got a lot of questions here. So we'll, we'll get to these. Uh, obviously, remember if you uh, if you have a question about the NFL draft, I'll give you my opinion. But I am not the draft guy. So here's Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Thank you, Charlie, very much for your super chat. It says hi, B. Success success of Kyle Hamilton in the NFL. How come safety recruitment isn't taking off like many expected? Do you think Woodyard is a long shot? Well, I mean, I, I'd have to say yes to the Woodyard question because the kid committed to Georgia. Now I think sometimes as fans, we get a little paranoid, no name fans, we get a little paranoid. And, and because certain things happen, we lose this kid. Then we just assume every kid's going to feel the same way. I can't stand that. But for example, every time Georgia offers a kid or oh, we're going to lose him. And, and I remember we had to answer a question about a Don Schuler announced he got offered from Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio state. And so sometimes when those schools step in, when Micah Bell got offered by Georgia, where his brother plays late in the recruiting process, people kind of panic there as well. Just because Georgia offers a committed kid doesn't mean that kid's going to go there. And in most instances, they haven't. However, that's a whole different animal hanging on to one of your kids than it is to flip a kid from Georgia. And right now, Peyton Woodyard is committed to Georgia. The last time Notre Dame kind of landed a guy that was previously committed to Georgia was J.D. Bertrand because Georgia basically dropped him. And so, uh, I, I mean, as long as Georgia still wants Peyton Woodyard, I, I don't see Notre Dame flipping him. Are they trying? Yeah, they're trying. They went by a school this week. But I just I just don't see it uh, as of right now. The, this is a fair question, Charlie, the part about Kyle Hamilton. Number one, I, I think Kyle Hamilton's still a rookie. And, and it's not like he's like the best safety in the NFL. But, I mean, we've seen this before, right? I mean, Harrison Smith for a period of time was – by all reports, the best safety in the NFL or in the top three year after year. And it didn't really impact safety recruiting that much. So I think it's it's had a, it's been a lot of factors. I think this is a big offseason for Chris O'Leary. You know, we, we hammer out Washington a lot, and, and I think it's deserved. But we haven't been as hard on Chris O'Leary yet, and here's why. I kind of gave him a pass on his first cycle because he was a guy that was a GA that had never recruited to this level. 
And it's definitely a bad thing that they struck out at safety in his first year. There were some things that worked against him uh, that that I, he didn't know about. The whole Xavier Nwankwa situation. He did a good job of, of getting in with Peyton Bowen this year, but obviously wasn't able to seal the deal, hold on to him. He did a nice job, did a really nice job identifying him and the staff, him and Chad Bowden and Coach Freeman did a really nice job of identifying Adon Schuler and Ben Minich before any other big schools got on him. After Adon Schuler committed to Notre Dame, he got offered by Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. So they got in on him early because my whole thing is if a kid's committed to Notre Dame and those schools offer, it doesn't mean that they're all of a sudden going to lose those guys. However, if a kid's uncommitted and those schools get in, then I get a little bit more concerned. And so that's why I'm, I'm a little bit more concerned about Justin Scott than I would have been if, you know, if he was already committed by getting offers from some of those schools. But that's a different, different conversation which I know we'll get asked about. But my whole thing is I, I think this is a big year for Chris O'Leary. I think he's got to go show that he can, he can start stringing together classes like this. Uh, I think the class of Adon Schuler, Ben Minch was very good. Chad Bowden was the driving force behind getting Brandon Hillman. And so you're bringing in a really good three-man class at safety. I'm not someone who believes you have to have elite safeties to have an elite defense. If you've got smart, good players, you can have a really good safety group, which we saw in their name in 2018. Uh, Louis Gilman and, and Jalen Elliott were a sixth-round draft pick and an undrafted guy. They were a really good college safety tandem. And it, But, you know, you'd like to start getting a higher level of play. I'm saying you can win that way. I'm not saying it's the preferred, nah, I don't want that stud. We're going to go. We're going to go over here. They've got a good safety board right now. The question is, can they close? Can they close on these guys? And I think now is when, okay, now for Chris O'Leary, you're going into year three. You had a good solid year, your first full year, getting Schuler, getting Minich. Your year three now, you've done a really good job coaching safeties. Now it's time that you can show me you can recruit with the big boys. Because at some point in time, if you can't recruit the big boys, I got to think about, whether or not we can continue moving forward with you because yeah, you can coach real well, but I, I, there's guys out there that can coach and recruit real well. So I think he has to start showing that he, he has a little bit more chops on the recruiting trail this year. And, and, and now is when I'm really going to start evaluating him for the job that he is doing on the recruiting trail. So I was willing to give him a little bit of a pass where, why I wasn't willing to give a pass to Al Washington is because Al Washington has been recruiting at this level for a long time. He was at Ohio State the last couple of years. He was at Michigan before that. He was at Boston College before that. He was at Cincinnati for a year. So he should know better and do better, in my opinion. So that's kind of where I'm at with that one. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So we got a mailback question here from Sean Rogers. Sean says, do you think Clarence Lewis moving to safety will give Notre Dame enough talent on the back end of the D this year? Was is an absolute stud. We just need the other safety to step up. That's a good question, Sean. I mean, do I know for a fact that he'll give him the, the ability there? I, I don't know. I got I don't know. I mean, I think he can transition to safety and play well, but really until a guy actually does something, you never really know, right? But I think he's got the ability to be a, a pretty good safety. I, I really do. It's and not even just like a rotation guy. If if let's just say hypothetically that Notre Dame decides to make the decision in late February that they're going to move Clarence Lewis to, to safety. And let's say they're going to give him a shot to start. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I would not be at all shocked if Clarence Lewis is starting at safety next to Xavier Watts next year. I won't be shocked at all. I think Ramon Henderson has a lot of physical tools, but I just, I don't, Ramon hasn't shown me yet that he has the instincts to be in every down safety at the next level. And so I think that would kind of slide him into more of a role of a rotation guy where he'd be comfortable, it wouldn't shock me if that happened. And then, of course, D.J. Brown is in his rotation role. So it really wouldn't surprise me if that happened. I think Clarence can be a really good safety. I really do. Now, that's a projection. I don't. I haven't seen him play safety. I could be completely wrong on that. It's just what I think. So I think he's a talented kid. I, And I've said this before. If he was playing in a different defense, a cover four defense, a cover two defense, one that's more zone-oriented – I think Clarence Lewis would be a much better. He's more like he's more Julian Love than he is Benjamin Morrison. And what I mean by that is Julian Love was could not really play man coverage. And I remember his All-American year, and he had a really good year in 2017. He had like over 20 passes defensed. I think he had like three picks, and two of which he ran back for touchdowns. Uh, I think the third he almost returned for touchdowns. He had pick six against uh, NC against NC State. And he had a pick six against Michigan State. His third interception was against Wake Forest, and I believe he returned it back inside the ten yard line. So, and then he had over twenty pass breakups that year. But a lot of it was just playing off ball, driving on routes. He was a lot of zone. Well, early against in twenty eighteen against Michigan, they tried to have him play man coverage, and I can't remember. It was the kid. It was the kid from Alabama. So Nico Collins. That was the receiver Michigan had from Alabama. And they had Nico Collins, who's a good player. They they had Julian Love playing man coverage against Nico Collins in that game. And Nico just torched him on a post route. It was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, he's not a man guy. And they kind of stopped having him play man coverage after that. And that's honestly why he's playing safety in the NFL. He's just not a cover guy. And so you look at Julian Love, I think that's a, a career projection that I, I really find favorable for Clarence Lewis that in a different defense, Clarence Lewis is a much better player than he is now. It's why Clarence Lewis was – I mean, let's be real, Ryan. I'm, I'm going to ask you this because Ryan's down there. Was the I, I will say this. Clarence Lewis's best year as a cover player was as a freshman in 2020. And the reason why is because Clark Lee was a zone coach, and he was comfortable. He solidified that defense when Tariq Bracey had his meltdown. 
he came in against North Carolina and held his own in that game. It was part of a team that shut Carolina down. He had he held his own against Alabama in coverage. His issues were kind of coming up in space and tackling. Those were his issues against Alabama because, again, he's just not that kind of athlete. But 2021, he struggled because they were asking him to play in the boundary. And then this past year, I thought he was solid this year. I thought he was better this year than he was last year. He was a solid player for them this year, but he wasn't as good as he was in 2020 because, again, he's not a cover one corner. As a safety, a lot of the traits that make that to me would make him a good zone corner are things that could make him a really good safety. That's my projection. So if he moves to safety, I'll I'll say this. Give me the four-man group of Clarence Lewis, Xavier Watts, now in his second full year as a safety. Ramon Henderson is a senior and DJ Brown over what they had last year, including Brandon Joseph, just because Ramon was, was still developing as a player. Ramon and Xavier were just in their first year, full years of playing safety. And even Xavier, you could say technically wasn't even in the full year because they were having him take reps away and playing him at receiver early in the year. So over Brandon Joseph, Ramon, Xavier Watts, and DJ Brown and Houston Griffith, I'll take that group over this group. Plus, you had the freshmen. I'll, I'll say this. They'll be better at safety next year if Clarence moves there than they were this year. No question, in my opinion. But I just don't know if that's going to happen. So, uh, and, and then with Xavier Watts being an absolute stud, I think he can be, but he's not He's not there yet. He's got. He still has a lot to prove. I think Xavier Watts has a chance to be a really good player. And, Sean, I think he can be a stud. But even in the South Carolina and USC games where I thought Xavier did a lot of good things, you saw that he still occasionally takes bad angles to the ball in coverage. Uh, he still doesn't quite have the, the read on playing the ball in the air as a safety compared to receiver. That'll come. I'm confident that'll come. But he's got to show that. But he played good football down the stretch. There's no doubt about it. He was very good against BC. He was very good against USC. He was very good in South Carolina. He just has some clean, clean some things up before I'm going to call him a stud. But I won't be shocked if he is that player at some point in time in 2023. There's no question about it. Question from Domer Grizz this is a two-parter. When current players are interviewed, like on a podcast, do they have a responsibility of sorts to talk favorably about the school and program in case recruits hear their comments? And then uh, – this is in regarding Ramon Henderson saying recently that it rains or snows here every day in the winter, which isn't true. I don't want them to lie, but I don't want them to feed negative recruiters. Well, I mean, I, I think they have a responsibility to be honest. I think there's a level of, I mean, I didn't hear the interview. I would assume that there was a level of hyperbole there. And, you know, when, when I say, man, it snows every day here. I don't think most people would watch me say that and assume that I literally meant it snows here every single day. Um, but again, you're also talking about what's his perception. Domergris, I don't know where you're from, right? But, you know, Ryan's from Jersey. I grew up in Ohio, moved to Virginia. I'm just going to tell you right now, when I moved back to Ohio and I moved back to the Midwest, it seemed a lot more, um, how do I say this? It just seemed a lot more gloomy during the winter than it did when I was growing up because as growing up, I was used to it. I was used to the winters. I was used to, you know, putting the boots on and having to walk through a foot of snow to get to the school bus after an hour delay when I was a kid, right? It just, it's what I was used to. But then I moved to Virginia beach and I played football from in my career, uh, my high school career or college career in North Carolina and Maryland. I get into coaching and then I come back to the Midwest to get into coaching. I'm like, yeah, it's a little different animal than I remember. 
It wasn't any worse. It's just my perception had changed. Ramon's from California, right? Like th- th- these winners are, are not something he's used to. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's, I don't, that thing I don't, doesn't bother me. Now, if he was like, hey, I don't, I don't think to, I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think that it's a situation where he said, I wish I wouldn't have come here because of how the weather, I, I don't think he I would doubt he said anything like that. That's, that would be, that would be uh, really inappropriate, but I don't think kids have a responsibility to talk favorably about the school and program per se. You'd want them to focus on the good things, but if a kid, if a kid's going to talk about the weather, I have no problem with that. I would hope that it's like, you know, but it's worth it because of this, you know, maybe say that, but you know, I, I don't, um, I, I don't, it, I don't have a problem with that. I, I really don't. I really don't. Coach Koch says, how do you feel about the Princeton linebacker who just transferred bodes well that guys are willing to walk on as a grad transfer just to play at Notre Dame? And this is a nice pickup. It's a real nice pickup. It, here, keep in mind, though, he's not – you're not really bringing him in here to play linebacker, though. You're bringing him in here to be a special teams guy. And he played a lot at Princeton, but he was not a, an impact player at Princeton. He was a nice player at Princeton. And so uh, I'm trying to – it's Cole uh, Cole Audrey, I think is his name, Correct. So I think he had six sacks one year, had two sacks this past year. You're not bringing him in here to compete with Marist and JD and those guys. You're bringing him in here to be on special teams. That's that's what he's come to Notre Dame to do. And I have no problem with that, especially as a walk-on. No problem with that. We've seen some guys that have, have proven to be very effective in those roles. So, yeah, it's very, very, very different. Yep. Jordan Schreiber says Notre Dame needed Braden, Braden Fisk. Do you think Mike Elston would have secured the commitment? I don't want to get into that whole, well, Elston would have done this. Elston had his fair share of misses as well. Look, here's what I know. Al Washington didn't, and Al Golden didn't do what they needed to do to get him. Simple as that. But Al, Al, would Mike Elston have gotten him? I don't know. Mike Elston got a commitment from Keon Keeley. Would he have been able to hold on to Keon Keeley's commitment? I don't know. I mean, and, and, I, and I don't think it's fair to say – like we we can do this revisionist history a little bit, right? I think Mike Elson was a good recruiter at Notre Dame. He wasn't an elite recruiter. I would argue that maybe he would have been better if he'd had a head coach and a D coordinator that were better recruiters alongside him. He only he, Mike Elson only had a good defensive recruiter alongside him really once, and that was Mike Elko for a year. That's it. And then and then he had because he didn't finish the year with Mike with Marcus Freeman is my point. So. Maybe he would have held on to him, but it'd be unfair for me to do that. It really would. And I don't want to get into that because, you know, Mike, El- Mike Elson had plenty of years where I was critical of him, especially early in his career as a recruiter. But he did a much better job late. I think he was very good at evaluating and finding the diamonds in the rough. And hopefully Al Washington is as good as that, too. But at some point in time, you got to be able to go get the big boys, especially when they're in your backyard. It's as simple as that. Would Mike Elson have Justin Scott committed by now? Yeah, he would have. There's no question. Because when Mike Elson had a guy locally that was a good player, he was all over him, sometimes to a fault. You know, like bringing in Elijah Taylor, Brandon Tiasim, and, and uh, Micah Dutreadway in the same class. But he loved recruiting local kids. So I have a feeling he would have got Justin Scott. But I can't say they would have. he would have got Braden Fisk. I, I can't tell you that. I, I That'd be unfair uh, because there's no track record of him bringing in defensive line transfers like that. There's just I, – I just – I can say that about Justin Scott because we have a track record of him. He loves recruiting Chicago. He loved recruiting Illinois. He brought in, he loved recruiting Indiana. He loved bringing in regional kids. 
There's no way he wouldn't have been all over Justin Scott. But the transfer part, it'd be unfair for me to say that. And it would just be me taking a shot at Al Washington just to take a shot at him. And I don't have any interest in doing that. I want Al Washington to be successful. I really do. Uh, I've never heard anything but good things about him as a person. I, he's respectful. He obviously is, is, is someone that Marcus Freeman likes and respects. He just hasn't done a good job. I hope that changes. I really do. Requires a lot more talking to do a show by myself when we can do a transfer. I can get my drinks in while Ryan's talking. It's a lot easier that way. Next question from Salty Virginia Peanuts. How do, how do players select their roommate in dorms? Do coaches have input? Are skill pa- uh, pairings like quarterback and quarterback sought or position pairings like quarterback receiver? What depends? There's always some level of players having a choice. A lot of times early enrollees tend to get put with other football players where freshmen who show up in the fall sometimes can get have a higher tendency to get placed with normal students. But it varies from kid to kid. Sometimes it's regional. Hey, let's put the two kids that are from the same area together. Uh, like I know Tyler Buckner, Lorenzo Styles were paired together when, when they came, you know, so it was quarterback receiver. Sometimes it's about personality. Let's find a couple kids who have similar personalities. Sometimes that's not the ideal mix that, to find that. So to me, it just depends. And then after your freshman year, you kind of have a more of a say, Hey, I want this person. I want, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. You can have more of a say in it. But a lot of the kids that are coming in as early enrollees will be with other football players. That happens a lot more often than, than the other way around. Next question from Jordan Schreiber. Why are the AFC quarterbacks so much better than the NFC quarterbacks? Have the NFC, has, has the NFC been misevaluating? Or the AFC teams just lost more? It's embarrassing disparity, really. It is really embarrassing. I mean, I'm trying to think of of who the best quarterback in the NFC is right now. Uh, I mean, Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott. I mean, the Aaron Rodgers, who's like 53. You know, Tom Brady, who's like 60. I, I mean, it, it, it's it's not good. Part of it is it's not so much that, that um, yeah, I mean, yeah, part of it's misvaluating, right? Because the Chicago Bears and several other NFC teams had every opportunity in the world to draft Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes. And they chose not to. I mean, think about think about what the Chicago Bears would be right now if in the 2017 NFL draft they didn't trade up. This is what makes it even worse. They traded up to get Mitch Trubisky. Instead of they traded up from three to two to get Mitch Trubisky. And so the Bears, the Niners, the Panthers all passed on Pat Mahomes, and then the Saints passed on Deshaun Watson. So yeah, that's a misevaluation. And and that that's certainly part of it. You know, so I mean we have seen we have seen that. We have seen teams miss. You look at the next year, the Cleveland Browns took you know Baker Mayfield instead of uh, instead of um, Josh Allen, right? Who went number seven to the Bills? The Giants passed on him, took Saquon Barkley instead, and the rest of the teams are AFC teams. Jets took Sam Darnold right at number three, so they, that's one of the reasons they stink. But yeah, we've seen a lot of this where it's just bad evaluations and misses. But I also think it's just some of these teams have had high draft picks and they took advantage. Like no AFC, no NFC team had a chance to draft Joe Burrow. The Bengals sucked. They had the number one pick and they took Joe Burrow. Uh, 
mean, if an NFC team had the number one pick, they probably would have taken Joe Burrow that year as well. So, and, and then some of it's bad luck. Uh, I mean, you know, some of it's bad luck injuries or, you know, this team loses the last two games of the year and they get that one spot ahead of you to take a guy. Um, you know, but, but I still say like, you know, Jameis Winston, I mean, I don't think that was a misevaluation by an NFC team. I don't think it was a misevaluation at all. Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston is a talent, is, is very talented. There are questions about, about this right here and about his character. And he still put up great numbers in Tampa Bay. Just couldn't, he just couldn't stop turning the ball over. And then, of course, he got hurt. So I think that's, that's part of it. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. It's just – I think some of it's just luck. But there's just that one year, that one year where a bunch of NF- NFC teams misevaluated quarterbacks and just whiffed. You know, because, again, what if the Giants in, in 2019 – would have taken Josh Allen instead of Saquon Barkley and then not drafted Daniel Jones a year later. You know, I mean, we'd be having a different conversation. So, yeah, I mean, but could I sit here and say that they were stupid for taking Saquon Barkley number two? I mean, if you want to talk about the – I would say yes, honestly. And I think Saquon is one of the best running back prospects in the last decade. I just don't think you ever take a running back number two. I just – I just – don't I don't think the position has enough value but would they have still taken Josh Allen too I doubt it you know so um and then part of it too is like I said luck I mean I mean Josh Allen was the top 10 t- pick but the Bills took a bit of a flyer on Josh Allen I mean let's be honest about that this is a guy that was a 50 something percent completion guy at, at Wyoming this was not a guy that put up like monster numbers at Wyoming I'm, I'm gonna pull up his stats now uh at, at Wyoming I mean you were you were taking a chance on a guy with elite physical tools but this is a guy that is as a saw as 2016 completed 56 percent of his passes for 3,203 yards 28 touchdowns and 15 interceptions the next year at wyoming he only completed 56.3 percent of his passes for 1,812 yards 16 touchdowns and six picks this was not a proven player i think a lot of people felt that the bills took a big gamble at number seven. And sometimes that gamble pays off. And for the bills, it has, you know, but it's not like, Oh my God, how, how could, how dare those teams pass on Josh Allen? I, I get it. I get it. Because what am I saying about Will Levis? What do you think in drafting Will Levis in the top 10? How's Will Levis's case any different than Josh Allen's? Now I would argue that, that Josh Allen's always showed more quarterback skill than Will Levis, but it's the same argument, big strapping kid, mediocre, College production, but it's got a huge arm. That's Josh Allen. That's exactly the scouting report for Josh Allen. Uh, you know, and, and I think people that would take Josh Allen or Will Levis at seven are nuts, right? But some people would have said that about the Bills with Josh Allen in 2019. So, or was it 2000? Was it 2019 or 2018? What year he was Josh Allen picked? It would have been 2018 is when he was picked. So it's it just there's all types of different reasons and. You know, there, there's no one reason, but but I think evaluating the NFL is bad. Period. And, and let's be real; it's not like the Chiefs like made this bold move to change trade up to number two to get Pat Mahomes. They waited till he fell down to like what ten before they traded up to get him. If they thought Pat Mahomes was going to be this, they would not have waited till ten to go get him. <laughs> let's be real about that. 
It's just like Bill Belichick's a genius for taking Tom Brady in the sixth round. No, Bill Belichick, if Bill Belichick thought Tom Brady was going to be this, he's a moron for waiting until the sixth round to take him. Can, I mean, so can can we can we say that too? Can we look at that too? If if Andy Reid thought Pat Mahomes was going to become a Super Bowl champ in like year two, MVP, throw monster numbers, I highly doubt he waits until like pick 10 to go up and get him. You know, and, and so uh, it, it's it's just it, it's just yeah it, so there's some luck involved in it too but i just think i think at the end of the day too i just don't think a lot of nfc teams are running real well and that's partly why i don't watch football i mean the redskins are are an absolute embarrassment of an organization right i mean the cowboys are weird you know the lions are kind of coming around the packers refused for a decade to draft you know help for aaron Rodgers. the bears are a hot mess I mean, what's that really well-run in you know, organization in the NFC? It's like the Niners and the Rams. That's a, like, is, is there anybody else? Can anybody think of the Panthers are a mess? The Saints are a mess. I mean, there's those two organizations that are they're I think run real well right now, and that's why they've had success with mediocre quarterbacks. And then Sean uh, Sean McVay gets a, a good pro once, and what's he do? He goes out there and wins Super Bowl. You know, not a surprise. Imagine. Imagine what Kyle Shanahan could do if if one of these years he's able to draft a Josh Allen or a Pat Mahomes or something like that. He's in the NFC Championship with Brock Purdy. He went to another NFC Championship game with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Like, I mean, that's the other part of it too is he's too good of a coach <laughs> to be in a situation where he can draft him Pat Mahomes or Josh Allen. That's the other part of it, you know? So um, it, it's interesting, but – Here's here's the thing too. The NFL has become so weird at quarterback recruiting, especially in the last five years or drafting, that it's almost impossible to get that sleeper to fall down to fifteen or sixteen, because they're just so overdrafted now. I mean, Zach Wilson went number two, Trey Lance went number three. Are you kidding me? Those guys are not even first round picks fifteen years ago. And so I just think that's another part of it too. I think the NFL sucks at evaluating quarterbacks. Period. Um with the exception of a few people. So, yeah. Yep, they're a mess. Uh, Brandon Plesner asks, are they moving Mills back inside then? Yeah, that's the plan. We've written about this a little bit, Brandon, and talked about this a little bit on the show. Uh, that's the plan as of right now, that Mills is going to be more of an interior guy. Sean Rogers says, Notre Dame is one DT and one stud safety away from a natty. I, I, you know, maybe. I think there's I think there's some other things that need to get figured out right now. I mean, in January – you know who the guard's going to be? Who's going to be the guy in the past in the past game? Who's going to step up and be that guy? Is Cam Hart come back healthy? Uh, is the linebacker play going to get better? Because if they get a stud DT and an, and an elite safety, and the linebacker plays just like it was last year, you're not beating Georgia. You're not beating Ohio State in in a playoff game. You may beat them in the regular season, but you're not beating them in a playoff game. You're not beating Alabama in a playoff game. So I think that part of the the game has got to get better as well. But no, they're not. Look, Sean, I don't think they're as far off as people think. And and I would even push back on the need for a stud safety. I I just don't think you need a stud safety to have a great defense. It doesn't hurt. I mean, Lewis Seen did some really good things for Georgia two years ago and some really good things for them. It's just, it's not a need per se, in my opinion. Bob O'Day asks, says, how involved is the offensive line coach in the run game? Very involved. Now, this is not true for every team. Um, some teams, the old offensive coordinators kind of dominates everything. 
with Tommy Reese and Harry Heastan. Harry Heastan is very involved in it. Uh, Tommy Reese is the decision maker, the decider on it all, obviously. But Coach Heastan is very involved. And in, in what does involvement mean, right, Bob? It's it's number one. It's, okay, what looks are we going to see this week? So it's a part of the scouting. You know, wh- what looks do we think we're going to get? What what formations do we need to use? How can we manipulate them with shifts and motions? Uh, what are the run concepts we need to run? You know, I think I think we need to hit this one quicker. So maybe we do this one, you know, at a gun. I think we need to let this one. We need to let this one kind of drag out a little bit longer. We need more of a stretch. So we really want to do this one out of maybe out of pistol uh, or maybe out of a toss if we need to hit a little bit quicker. So I think the old line coach has a lot to say in that in that type of thing. Do we want to run strong this week? Do we want to run weak this week? Meaning formationally. So do we want to run the zone to the open side this week? Do we run it to the weak side where the Calls made to the tight end or away from the tight end with the cutback. Do we run to run this to the tight technique or away from the tight technique? That's the posi- that's the defensive lineman closest to the center. So he'll have a lot of saying that, a lot of saying that. And then there's going to be times during a game where it's a situation where it's third and one, and the OC may say that. I I guarantee you this has happened at some point in time this year. Third and one situation, third and goal. Tom Reese says, "Hey, hey, coach, well, coach Eastman, what 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 do you like here?" And he'll tell him what he likes, and then and then go from there. Robert Bishop says, with Justin Scott deciding to prolong his recruitment, do you think he's not leaning towards Notre Dame now? He's still leaning towards Notre Dame. It's very much he, so. Here's how this all happened: because there's a lot of panic and a lot of people assuming certain things are true that just aren't true. Okay, Justin Scott did not postpone his decision because Georgia offered. It's not true. Not accurate. Here's how it played out: he was always planning. So originally, way back when. He wanted to decide in the fall, and Notre Dame dropped the ball on his recruitment. We've talked about that, and then that allowed him to kind of prolong. And He's since then kind of really blown up as a recruit. Bama's on him, Ohio State's on him, Michigan's on him, all these USC's on him, all these big-time schools are on him. And throughout that process, there was some uncertainty from Justin, I believe, of whether or not he was the same priority level for Notre Dame that he was for some of these other schools. Even though he always wanted to go to Notre Dame, there's a thought of does Notre Dame want me? They did. I didn't get a shamrock. I didn't get a pot of gold in March. I didn't get my offer till that, you know till April. Now it was still an early offer. He got offered before his junior year, as people point on the board. But there's a difference when that offer comes later than a lot of other kids I know that got offered. Do you really want me? Am I as high on your board as you are on mine? And I think that happened for a while, you know. And he says he's got a good relationship with Coach Washington. I'm sure he does. But then he also told us that he probably talks to Coach Washington every couple weeks. I promise you Ohio State is not only talking to him every couple weeks. I promise you USC is not only talking to him every couple weeks. I promise you Bama is not only talking to him every couple weeks. I promise you that. And Michigan for sure is not talking to him every other couple weeks. And so what that is allowed to do, some other schools to kind of close the gap. And there's always a doubt in Justin's mind about how much Notre Dame wants me. Because he wants Notre Dame. Not debatable. And so... What had happened is now you get to this winter and Justin had decided that he was going to take some visits in the spring, go to some schools he hasn't been to yet, and then make a decision probably late spring, early summer. That was his plan. Then Marcus Freeman comes into the school and he brings the whole Notre Dame posse with him. And the school that he finally want, that he wants finally comes correct. And they come at me like they should have. And he emotionally, like in excitement, says, I'm, I'm, I'm announcing I'm going on January 31st, and this is what I want to do. But I think as he kind of got away from that, 
I think he was like, okay, I feel like I'm rushing this. And yes, they came in on this day, but, but do they really, am I really that? And some of these other schools I want to see here, I've convinced myself that I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to go there. So it wasn't that he had decided no questions asked Georgia offers. And all of a sudden he changes his mind. That's not what happened. Do I think he wants to visit Georgia? Yes. But I think he always wanted to visit Georgia. I think what happened was, is there's other schools he wants to get down and see, and he wants to get out and see. And other schools that have made him a much bigger party for longer are have convinced him, no, 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 dude. Remember, they weren't on you. They weren't pushing for you. We were. And I think that factored in. So if Notre Dame wants to get Justin Scott, they need to, number one, respond to his decision exactly like they did. Hey, man, it's all good. I'd rather you wait and commit down the road than commit now and regret it. Because when that happens, you're going to lose a kid. So they decided that they're fine with it. But now you cannot allow a day go. I mean, they're going to go see him again tomorrow. They're going to have Tommy Reese. And I think, uh, let me see here. I'm going to have this intel on the board here in a little bit. But Tommy Reese and Al Washington are both going to be at his high, his high school football game tomorrow or his high school basketball game tomorrow. That needs You need to have somebody to every home game that kid plays. You need to make him the priority that he needs to be. And if they do that, I'm confident they're going to get him. And I do think they absolutely still lead for him. There's That, that has not changed. It's just he's getting back on the plan he had before he kind of got the emotional excitement of Notre Dame's finally coming for me. And as long as they stay on him that way, I think he'll end up in the class. But if they don't, then they won't. And and that's kind of where we're at. And that's uh, and I'll, I'll ask Ryan's down there. Ryan, do you, do you agree with that assessment of, of where things are? Ryan agrees. Uh, of course, I can lie to y'all because y'all can't see him. But yes, he gave me he gave me a thumbs up. So <laughs> he gave you a thumbs down for me saying I'd lie. Uh, but yeah, I, I think so. Let's go to the next one. If Justin Scott's visit in her name is still on schedule for this weekend, I did hear that he has pushed that announcement date also. Pushed the announcement date also. Yeah, we already talked about the announcement date. Um, let me let me reach out here and hopefully I'll get an answer. Um, uh, let me see here. I'll see if I get an answer before the end of the show. But he had told us. He has told other outlets that he's still coming this weekend. Uh, he told us that he 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 was planning to come this weekend, uh, but he has not confirmed that with Notre Dame. And this is exactly like what we said last week. A kid can tell you he's going to come, but there's a lot more to it than that. What if his basketball coach says, no, 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 we have practice that day? What if his parents are like, and hey, we can't drive you, we have something else going on? There's a lot of things that have to be coordinated that 17-year-olds don't always think about. And that's why we say, hey, let's pump the brakes because this visit has not been solidified just yet. And so I will find out here hopefully soon uh, and uh, about that. If I don't get the answer during the show, then I will put it up on the board, obviously. Sean Rogers says, do you think Junior 2 Alamaca could develop into a big end if he continues to grow? Potentially. Uh, I don't know if he's a full-time big end, just because I don't think he's long enough to be a full-time big end. But could he play that position? Sure. I think Junior's better suited to play linebacker. I do. Viper, maybe. But he's a rotational guy at end. I think he's a starter at linebacker, and, I, and I'm and i puzzled. It, it's weird because, like, you, you move him to end, and then I hear from other sources that they're trying to get Nolan, Nolan Ziegler to put a bunch of weight on. It's like, well, if you wanted a guy that weighs 240 pounds, you just freaking leave no, you know, Junior Tillamaka at linebacker. I, I'm very puzzled. I, there's a lot that Al Golden says and does that I just don't understand. It's very frustrating. Very frustrating. Let's go to the next question. 
Bob O'Day also asks Alexander Ehrensberger, 6'6 six, six, and 7'8, 267 pounds. Wish this guy could step up. I don't disagree. I mean, he was solid in, when he came off the bench for them in 2021. He was solid. I don't know why he didn't play more this year, to be completely honest with you. It's another one of those puzzling things. But I, I hope he steps up. I mean, it, I'll tell you this if Alexander Ehrensberger steps up and can give them 20 snaps a game, I'm feeling really good about the big end position. I do. There's no doubt. Zach Martin asked for the transfer portal. Uh, Zach, and I saw that you were feeling a little under the weather. I saw you note that earlier. I hope you feel better as well. Zach says, for the transfer portal, how does their name structure it internally? Do they have designated staff for it? Are they doing anything unique, et cetera? Well, so so Chad Bowden's department also handles a lot of the advanced scouting for that. Uh, I believe that the analysts are also involved in some of that film. And then uh, the recruiting staff will kind of pass along to the position coaches guys that they that are in the portal that, that have kind of passed their initial test. And so they they kind of know what the coaches are looking for, what the coordinators are looking for and all that. And so if they see a guy, uh, they'll pass it along. I've I've had guys pop in the portal uh, that I've reached out to staff about or, you know, some of the folks in, in back-end offices and stuff. And I'll say, hey, look, um, uh, this guy's in the portal. I haven't seen his film yet, but he's in the portal. Or, hey, I've watched this guy's film. I like him. He's in the portal. Uh, and then they'll say, Hey, you know, I checked it out. I pass it along to, you know, coach so-and-so. So I think those are, those are different aspects of things that they, that, that they look at and say, Hey, um, this is kind of the process. If you can pass the initial recruiting staff's test, and then you pass it along to the, the next level and those coaches dive into it. Cause you can't have assistant coaches like watching every single kid that goes in the portal. There has to be a level of, of your evaluative staff, your backend staff that you trust enough to say, they're not going to watch a kid and just whiff and be like, you know, oh, I watched this kid play, and I didn't think he was any good, and so I I didn't pass him along to the staff. You're like, who, Jordan Birch? Yeah, you suck. You need to find something else to do, right? Like, that doesn't happen. If there's even remotely any interest, they, they'll pass along. Because the other thing, too, is the, the recruiting staff also will get transcripts and be like, yeah, we can't get this kid to school, so why waste time looking at his film if we can't get him into school? That helps streamline things a little bit for the Notre Dame coaches. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the it's the coaches the, – the, head coach and the 10 assistants that are the, the ultimate determiners for who, who they go get in the portal when, when they do have portal needs. Jason Smith says, what is your confidence level that coach Al Washington will be able to get this D line class and guys like Tyson Ford to develop and reach their ceilings? Six, five. I mean, he's it, look, football's a show me business, man. Why, why do I have confidence in Mike Mickens? Cause he's done it. I mean, why do I have confidence in Dean McCullough? Cause he's done it here and other places. Why do I have confidence in Harry? He it, I, I've had maybe five conversations with Harry Heeson in my life, and they've all been at formal Notre Dame settings at interviews or at clinics. I've never had a private conversation with him. I've never hung out with him. I've never had a, a jovial conversation with him. It's always been talking football at some formal event. I have no personal relationship with Harry Heeson. I praise Harry Heeson and think the world of him as a coach because of what he's done, of what he's accomplished, and what the players say about him. So it's about the track record. Why do I? Why am I optimistic about Chancey Stuckey for Al Washington? Is it because I like Chancey Stuckey and don't like Al? I've never talked to either one of them. It's about this guy did a good job, that guy didn't. It's as simple as that. And so it's a show me business. And I don't think he did a great job coaching this year. From a coaching standpoint, I'm willing to give him a bit of a second chance because number one, there's the normal year one to year two growth that a coach makes. I know my players better now. I know Notre Dame now. I know 
the you know these kids have a lot more on their plate than my kids at Ohio State or Michigan had, and so I've got to learn to work around that. Uh, I know what Riley does better now. I know what so and so does better now. There's that, and then there's the other part of. I don't think all the veterans were bought in this past year. I mean, one kid transfers, and I think there were some issues with the veterans. Well, those guys are all gone now. And so now you say, okay, now he's got a little bit more of a clean slate. It's now more his room. Is he going to be able to take advantage of that? We'll find out. He needs to, but my confidence level isn't high. I mean, because he, he, he's got to show it to me. What would be the reason for my con- – and Jason, I'm not saying you asked me this. I'm just it, kind of speaking. Like, what would be the reason for having a higher confidence in five or six? It, there is really isn't one. And so he's he's got to show it to me. I'm confident, but he's got to show it to me. And we just haven't seen it yet from him. So I hope he does. hope he does. David Flores asks, is Tyson Ford an interior to the line or a big end? A little bit of both. I think right now the projection is more inside, but I still do think there's still a path for him to stay outside. I think they're looking at him at both still. I don't I don't think he's completely outgrown that position. Um, yeah. Anymore. John A1, how much impact, positive or negative, will the transfer class have on the culture of the team? That's a good question. Uh, significant. And I, the question is, is which way is it going to be? If they have a positive impact, it's, you got Sam Hartman was a captain. You have Javante Jean-Baptiste is a veteran to play a lot of football. You have Thomas Harper's play a lot of football. You have Caleb Smith, who's a captain. So there's a potential for them to come in, be good leaders, be good teammates, show, show the younger players their position, sort of the ropes, and have a great contribution to the roster from a from – a, personality leadership culture standpoint or they come in i'm not trying to hear all that noise i'm not trying to deal with this i'm not trying to deal with that i don't, I don't care about hanging out at your house i'm here to play football and go to the nfl or whatever that's going to have a bad impact on the culture you hope that the staff did enough research on these kids that they they know what kind of young men they're getting and that they've had the conversations with these kids to understand these young men and understand hey we need you to come in here and be this way and, and I think when you look at those type of kids, I, I think that they feel confident that they got those type of kids. For example, I was told this very early on in the process and was told this again late specifically about Sam Hartman. But I was told very early on by sources that Notre Dame has basically said to quarterbacks, if you want to talk about NIL with us, you're not a guy we're looking for. There will be NIL opportunities for you at Notre Dame. Promise you that. But if that's going to factor into whether or not you want to come here, then we're not interested. Because we want a guy that's going to come here because he wants to win a championship. He wants to do this. He wants to do this. He wants to do this. NIL will be a byproduct of all those other things. And so if a guy was one to talk about NIL, their name said, no, thanks. We're moving on. Because what's their goal? Their goal is to win a championship. And if a guy's just coming here because you're going to give him an NIL package, is that guy really bought in? And so I think that was a big part of these conversations. So, like, I believe they've done that at multiple positions. I, I know that there was a lot of that kind of research into Caleb Smith. Everything I've heard about Javante Jean-Baptiste, I have some sources at Ohio State. They say this is a first-class young man. This is a great kid. He's going to come here. He's an, an, an academic All-American type of kid. He's a big time. He's a very unique kid. Uh, he has a lot of interest outside of football, but yet still passionate about football. He's a very kind of artistic kind of kid. Very unique kid. It's going to fit in very well. Will he get along with the players? That That is always a question mark until they actually show up. But I think they've done a lot of homework in, 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 in hopes of making sure that that's a smooth transition. But if if they're wrong on those guys, then it could it could be fracturing, to be honest with you. 
Sean Rogers says, is Irish breakdown going to have a tailgate for the blue gold game? As long as the weather allows, we will. Yeah. Now, I mean, if, if it's cold and rainy, I'm not doing a tailgate. If it's nice enough for us to be out there, even if we have to have hoodies on, yeah, we'll be out there. You know, if it's 30 mile an hour winds, I'm not going to be out there. I'm sorry. We'll do something else. We'll have a, a get together the night before at a restaurant or something. But uh, as long as the weather cooperates, yeah, we plan to do that for the tailgate. And I'm, I'm trying to talk the Ryan into coming down for that as well. Timeout, Tom. Do you see Coach Mason stop giving out four-year scholarships to specialists and go with one-year transfers yearly? Uh, it, I think it'll. I don't know. Vary. I think Notre Dame likes the idea of being able to give out the one to two-year sort of scholarships. Or in the case of the punter, I mean, John Sott was a walk-on, and Ben Krim is a walk-on. I believe Spencer Schrader is on scholarship, but the other kid is a walk-on. Uh, none of the long snappers are on, are, were on scholarship to come, but now they've given Michael Vincent a scholarship. So I don't think they're opposed to having uh, guys on scholarship. I just think that if the guy's going to be a, a high school player, that he's going to have to be really good. I think that's kind of more what they're looking at. Milton fan 15 says with a ta- DB talent, Notre Dame has returning. Do you foresee more covers zero? If so, would a three, four make more sense than the, the uh, a three, three, five. No, if you're going to play cover zero, then I definitely think you're going to want to be more of a three, three, five team. Cause you want, you're going to want more athletes on the field because cover zero is everybody's in man and, and everyone that's not in coverage is blitzing. And so uh, I don't think that's necessarily kind of what you're looking for right now. Um, I think that's kind of, yeah. Uh, and, and honestly, I, I don't see I think we'll see more cover zero. I don't think we'll see more cover zero. I think we'll see a more effective use of the cover one they have. Cover zero is a, an all-out blitz. We'll see that in some pressure situations, but I'm just not uh I don't think we'll necessarily see more of that. And and a th- Notre Dame will never be a three-four. What I think Notre Dame may do is be more three-four personnel, but they'd still be sort of a three-three-five alignment out of that look it's still going to be you know but if i'm going to play cover zero there's no way i'm not going to have five dbs on the field no way not going to happen john a1 says now with the combination of the transfers and 23 class which position group got the biggest upgrade receiver defensive line or secondary i go receiver i mean d line's third for me uh, there's a lot of high ceilings but the talent level is not as good there I, I look at the secondary. I love the corner class. The safety class, if you take out what they lost and just look at what they landed, it's a good safety class. And somebody somebody asked on the board yesterday, I mean, it's a very fair question, but I got a chuckle out of it. They said, hey, do you have an update on Brandon Hillman? I heard he did really well at the All-Star game, and, and you know, do, are you going to reevaluate his film? And I was like, no. Number one, an All-Star game does not determine how I feel about a guy unless I've never seen him before. Number two, everybody coming around to, wow, this Hillman guy's pretty good is not, is them kind of catching up to us because we've always felt that. I remember because I'll never, I'll never forget when I first heard about Brandon Hillman in Notre Dame because it was when Rita was sick and and it was when I'd come home from Purdue and I was getting clothes and I was going to stay here. And then, you know, my wife had stayed in Purdue where Rita was in the hospital and I came back with Sadie, our other dog. We stayed here and went back the next day. But I had sat down and I got a phone call about about Brandon Hillman and how he was a guy that Notre Dame was going to look at. And I remember getting to t- talking to Ryan and and Ryan was like, "Why are they looking at this kid?" Because at the time, people thought it was going to be as a running back. 
And they're like, no, no, it wasn't as a running back. It's kind of an athlete, probably defense. I remember watching this kid's film and, and, and we're both like, wow, how, how did this kid fall through the cracks? This kid's really good. Well, then you find out why. Up until really the summer of four senior year, he'd kind of been adamant he wanted to be a quarterback. He's not a power five quarterback. But, you know, you, you look and say, boy, this kid's really good. I mean, this kid's a top 200, 250 caliber player with a four and a half star upside is the grade I gave him. Well, I think that's kind of what everybody else is catching up to. I don't think it's something that requires us to – like when I saw him look good at the at the Polynesian Bowl, I was like, okay, yeah, that's pretty much what I expected him to do. You know, like this kid's pretty good. But, you know, they got good safeties. The The perception of the safety class is, is, is not going to change until they get on the field and show it. But there's always going to be that what if with Peyton Bowen. And that's fair because, I mean, we've argued, Ryan and I both argue that Peyton Bowen's in the conversation as the best safety in the country with Caleb Downs. I mean, those are the two best safeties in the country in my opinion. I mean, it's, it's Derek Williams is pretty good, but I don't put him in that category. So that's a loss. I mean, it, there's no question it's a loss. But if you take what was lost out of the conversation, you look at the three they got, that's a pretty good safety class. Yeah, you got length, you got range, you got some speed, you got some, you got some different aspects to it. It's a pretty good safety class. But and, and then you look at the corner class, and then you bring in Thomas Harper. That's certainly better than what the defensive line brought in. Now, here's the funny thing, and, and Ryan, I'm curious if you agree with this. I like receiver number one, secondary number two, D-line number three for what I think the impact is going to be and what I feel I can I can know. I will say this. It would not shock me if at the end of the day, D-line becomes number one. Because here's the way I look. I've said this before. Some of the most high upside players in the 23 class are on the D-line. You know, Brennan Vernon is a high-ceiling, low-floor kid. Bubakar Traore is an exceptionally high-ceiling, low-floor kid. Armel Mookum is a high-ceiling, low-floor kid. Devin Houston has the highest floor of the group, and he has a pretty high ceiling too. There's a... There's a scenario where three of those four guys are absolute dudes and the fourth guy's a starter and a good player. It would not shock me if in three or four years, those are four of your five best defensive linemen on the roster. And I've said this before, Bubakar Traore has first round NFL draft talent. Now he has no clue how to use it yet. (laughs) None. But he reminds me a lot of, I can't remember the guy's name. There was this kid. He was, I think he was, he was, he was from, I think he was from Africa and he went to BYU and nobody ever heard of him. And he just like kind of grew into this. Ryan's going to put in there, just had these long arms, all this talent. And he went from a kid nobody ever heard of to a first round NFL draft pick, I believe. Uh, yeah, Ansa. Yes, Ansa. And so I could see Bubakar being that kind of guy. But I could also see him never quite getting to that level. I could also see him, him being more of an Adi Ogandiji type right? Which is fine too. But that's why I, I can't go with the D line because there's just too much projection there where I feel a lot more comfortable with the receivers and the secondary is kind of where, where I'm at with that one. So, um, but the potential's there. Michael S with a super chat. Thank you, Michael. Who do you see as more likely to make the final four uh, in 2023 university of Michigan or Notre Dame and why? it's a little too early for me to say that, Michael, with all due respect, it's a little bit of a cop-out, but I just don't know enough about Michigan, everything that Michigan has coming back to say that. Right now, I mean, my answer would have to be Michigan from one standpoint of they've done it now two years in a row and Notre Dame hasn't. 
they have this coaching staff at Michigan has shown it can get a team to the playoff, and Notre Dame's hasn't. I think Notre Dame has better players. I think Notre Dame will have the better quarterback next year. I think Notre Dame has better skill. I think Notre Dame has a chance to have the better offensive line, although they have to prove it because Michigan's has been better the last two years. I think Notre Dame has more athleticism on defense, and they have just as much upside on the defensive line. But there's a lot more provenness to what Michigan has come back. And so, I mean, right now on January 26th, I'd have to go Michigan because of what is known. I will say this, if both teams reach their full potential, uh, Notre Dame's a better team. Here's the other factor in this, too. Look at Michigan's schedule this year. Michigan, <laughs> it is it is ridiculous. Their schedule is so ridiculous. Uh, they have, to me, two tough games all year, and they're both in November. And that's at Penn State and, at, and home against Ohio State. The rest of their schedule is East Carolina at home, UNLV at home, Bowling Green at home, Rutgers at home, and then you're at Nebraska, who knows what they're going to be, at Minnesota, home against Indiana, at Michigan State, who knows what they're going to be, home against Purdue, at Penn State, at Maryland, home against Ohio State. That's a pretty soft schedule for a playoff team. Maybe Maryland jumps up this year again. Maybe Michigan State bounces back. Maybe Matt Rule gets Nebraska going in year one. But I don't have a lot of faith in Jeff Sims winning a, a game against a team that's playoff caliber. I, I just I don't. But hopefully they do, and Michigan struggles. But look, until somebody, until somebody in the Big Ten proves they can beat Michigan, I'm not going to believe they can. And I think their schedule is so soft that it's going to be tougher. Whereas Notre Dame's got to play Ohio State at home, just like Michigan, and then their next toughest game is USC at home. And you could say, okay, at Penn State, it's very comparable to USC at home. Okay, fair. But then number three is at Clemson. What's the at Clemson on Michigan's schedule? And then you've got at Duke, at Pitt. Those are much tougher than those next games in line for for Michigan. So I think the schedule part of it is is a factor in, in why I feel Michigan has, is better situated to make a run as of right now. Now, my opinion might change after spring ball. I got to see how Notre Dame develops because I do think that Notre Dame has the better roster. They have a, a, a more talented roster. But right now, a lot of what we're excited about for Notre Dame is, is, is projecting what we hope to see. I hope the offensive line becomes elite. Michigan has already shown that it can be that. I hope the skill players step up. Michigan has some provenness to that. I think Notre Dame's quarterback is going to be very good. We know what Michigan has, and, and I think J.J. is going to get even better. So I think that's the reason I go I lean towards Michigan right now. But Notre Dame has the better roster, in my opinion. Uh, Tim B says, how do we find an IB tailgate? So what happens is is, is that um, on the day of the game, because a lot of times it's it's you get there and it's just find a spot in, in a certain lot, wherever you get a parking, wherever your parking pass is. And so what we'll do is we'll get there and I'll just tweet out, here's where we are. I'll put like the, I'll put the, you know, the, the parking area we're in, I'll put the light pole, I'll take a picture of the stadium from where we are. So you can kind of have a, an idea of where we are. Uh, so it'll just be more that day. Um, otherwise, I mean, we don't know we're going to be able to park. So that's kind of where it goes, but we'll tweet that out and, and, and put that on the message board to let everybody know where we are. So that's the best way to find us. Lance Habs, is, is, it, is it accurate to draw the comparison that we now have a stable of guys who are like utility players in baseball? Seems like, seems like I hear you mention that this player and that player could play three or four positions. To a degree, Lance, I would say yes. But to me, I feel like using the word utility player in baseball uh, almost kind of is a statement of, well, they can do a lot of things, but they're not necessarily really good at any of them. 
Because if a guy was really good at a position, he would stay there. At at some positions, that's true. But like a receiver that can play three positions, that's different than a utility baseball player. Because there's a it's like an outfielder that can play three outfield spots. That's not a utility player. That's an outfielder. A utility player is like a guy that can play outfield, third base, first base, second base. You know, that you know, a guy can play second base, third base, and left field or something like that. Like, you know, but but it, are they utility players in the in in a way that um I'm trying to think of some guys that, that were really, you know, good quality utility players were off the bench kind of guys. Or is he a utility player like Pete Rose, who was an all-star at left field, was an all-star at third base, was an all-star at first base, you know, that kind of thing. That would be more my question. I think there's more of those type of guys that are, are really good players and could be there at multiple positions uh, than the other way around. John A. once says, does Jean Baptiste bring additional physicality to the defensive line? I don't, I don't know if he ups the physicality as much at that position. I don't, I don't think the defensive end position lacked physicality um, as much as it's, as it's just effectiveness, really. He brings length to the position. He brings uh, an upgrade in athleticism and speed off the edge in that position. I don't know. I don't know if I'd argue that he brings more physicality. I just think he brings more just upside, more talent and more production. Not Ryan's bully. I don't like this name, Tommy. You're going to have to get rid of that, man. Um, is there any more additions after spring ball? Will you revisit and revi- re- revise the grades of Nestor? Absolutely. And, and that also means like, Tommy, so like the grade may go, if they don't add anyone, the grade, the grade could go down. Let's just say, for example, that the safety position is still a question mark and they don't move Clarence Lewis and, and they're not feeling good about where they are at safety and they don't add something in the portal. Yeah, that's going to have a, that's going to be a problem. That's going to bring the a grade down, no question about it. Uh, if they get new guys, then I'll, I'll do the same thing. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Jordan Schreiber asks, so why is it better for Baptiste to play for Notre Dame instead of Ohio State this year? Because he's gonna play more, he's gonna have a chance to be the featured guy. Ohio State wanted him back, but he was never gonna play above JT. He was never gonna play above Jack Sawyer. He was always gonna be kind of a second fiddle. At Notre Dame, he was. He has a chance to be the guy at big end. Because here's the deal: his options weren't necessarily to go back to Ohio State or go back to um, Ohio State or come Notre Dame. It was more, uh, I believe. Ryan, this is correct from what you and I talked about. It was more of I'm going to go pro or I'm going to go to Notre Dame. And so, um, and he was a guy that was getting draftable grades. I, from what I, from some people I've talked to at Ohio State, he he was getting draftable grades. Now it's like day three draftable grades, but 
there's thought people thought he's going to go to the combine or pro day and, and more probably more pro day than combine, but he's going to go to pro day and and put up some impressive numbers. He's going to be really long. He's going to have some explosiveness and those type of things. And he's going to have a draftable grade when they pop in the film. Now you get a chance to go to Notre Dame. Uh, as Ryan said, he had an NFL PA bowl invite as well. So, I mean, this is a kid who wasn't a starter. who was getting an invite to one of these all-star games, not all-star games, but like, you know, uh, scouting games that, that you have, that they have, like, the, you know, there's the shrine bowl, the, the senior bowl and all those. So it was, do I go pro or do I go Notre Dame? And Notre Dame convinced him that like, dude, you can come here, get a chance to be the guy at big end. And that's ultimately what he decided to do. So it's really just a chance to showcase. It's kind of like what we talked about. Honestly, Jordan, this is a good comp. This is a very good question. It's like what we talked about with Justin Adamiola. Like, what does Justin Adamiola have to prove by coming back? Like, what? how can he improve his draft stock? There's only one way to do it. It was not to go be a role player at another school. It was not to come back to Notre Dame and do the same exact thing. The only reason for Justin Adamiola to come back is if he was going to be put in a position where he can become a primary pass rusher and show they can have the volume as a pass rusher. But he wasn't going to get that. He wasn't going to be that at Notre Dame. He wasn't going to be that anywhere else. So he made the decision to go pro, which is, I think, a smart decision by Justin. Javante is getting the opportunity to go to Notre Dame and be something that he has not been, again, an opportunity to be something at Notre Dame that he has not been in college. And that is as a every down difference maker player. Now, we'll find out if he can play that way. I don't know. He's got to prove that he can. He's only shown that he can be a different, an, an impact guy on a on a small number of, of snaps. And so can he be a more high-volume guy? I don't know. But that's the opportunity he's being given. He's being given a chance to be the guy at big end. And if he steps into that role and has an Adi Tagumba Ogundiji type of season, five, six, seven sacks, you know, eight, nine tackles for loss, ten tackles for loss, he's going to get drafted next year. You know, uh, where he would have had to kind of have a really strong offseason to get drafted this year uh, and, and, you know, may have been in a situation where he, he might have had to go sort of a an undrafted type free agency situation. If he comes to Notre Dame and, and has the kind of season I think he's capable of, then to me, he plays himself into the third the day three, you know, and depending on how his combine numbers go, then maybe it goes higher. But. You know, I think that's that's the that's the opportunity he has is is to be that kind of guy and prove that he can be that kind of guy. Bailey Brad, is there any possibility that Brandon Hillman earns a starting role at safety in year one? Look, anytime the kid's on scholarship and learning, he has a there's a possibility for that, Bailey. No question. Would it surprise would it shock me if he did that? Not shock me. Would it surprise me? Yeah, it'd surprise me. Couple reasons. Number one is there's some good players ahead of him. Number two is he's very raw when it comes to as a being a pure safety. He was he was more of a quarterback in high school than he was a safety. He played safety, but he was just a guy that was just running around athletically, even in the in the Polynesian Bowl. I mean, you could see it like his footwork is still a, a work in progress. His his angles of the football are still a work in progress. His field dropping in zone is still a little bit of a work in progress. But the one thing he can do is he can run, and he can flip his hips, and he can stick. And so, you know, he's got that, but he's got to learn. He's got to learn the game a little bit more. And so it would surprise me a little bit if he started in year one. Uh, but when you're a talented kid, some like I was surprised that Joe Walt became a year one starter. I was surprised that Benjamin Morris became a year one starters. I was not shocked by either. I was surprised because I thought they both would need more time. But Benjamin Morrison was a kid I gave a five-star upside grade to. Joe Alt was a kid I gave a four and a half star upside grade to. I undersold that one. Uh, he should have been a five star based on what we've seen. 
I just didn't know if he could get to this point. But so, so the thing is, neither of them surprised me that, that they, I mean, neither of them shocked me that they played as freshmen because they're talented players. The light went on just a little quicker than I expected. And it'd be the same thing with Brandon. Uh, would it shock me? No. Would it be a little surprising? Yeah, it would. And I think there's a shock is like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Uh, Caleb Smith as fr- the, the freshman came in and had 80 catches as a, as a freshman at Notre Dame for 1200 yards. Like, dude, that, I'm shocked by that. Like, I, I didn't even know he ever had that in him. And he came, right. That would shock me. If Kenny Minchie came in and beat out Tyler Buckner and Sam, Sam Hartman, that would shock me just because of experience. But if Brandon Hillman comes in and, and ends up starting at some point in time as a freshman, it wouldn't shock me I'm not predicting it. It surprised me a little bit, but it would it wouldn't shock me just because the safeties aren't proven yet. You know, whereas if, if for Kenny Minchie to do what he'd have to do, he'd have to beat out a guy that's got 110 career touchdown passes and almost 13,000 career passing yards, right? That's a shocker, you know, barring injury. I'm talking about, like I said, beat them out. That would shock me. I just, there's no way I can predict that right now. Jay Henry says, how many turnovers do you think Notre Dame defense can generate? Will that be a focus for Al Golden? Jay, I'm just going to be straight up honest with you, okay? I am going to completely avoid making any predictions on what I think Al Golden is going to do. Because I don't have a clue what's in that guy's head. Like, I just, I don't talk to him. I don't know him. Um, I, I can't figure out some of the stuff he's doing. I don't know why he's not recruiting more. There's a lot of question marks I have. Uh, so I, honestly, man, I I can't even tell you if that should it. Be, I'll say, here's what I'll say: it should be a focus, and absolutely should be a focus. They need to become a, a better at turning the ball over. I think for me, when I look at like what a, a good number is, you know, I kind of look at sort of what they did in the last six games, and say they need to build on that a little bit. Right. So if you look at what they did the last six games, they forced nine turnovers in the last six games. And I'm sorry, hold on a second. They forced um, 12 turnovers in the last six games. And so 12 turnovers in the last six games is an average of two a game. You put that over the course of a season and you're talking about a team that's it's, it's right at 26 turnovers. If you can build on that and that kind of be the foundation, then all of a sudden you're kind of on par with where you need to be. Right. And if you look at last year, the, the, the leaders in turnovers gained, if they'd have had 26 of the course of an entire year to tie them for seventh. But here's here's the thing. Part of that seven came from a five turnover game against USC against uh, Boston College. And so I, I, I don't know if you can necessarily get away with that, per se. I want to see just a little bit more consistency, you know, two a game, two a game, two a game, three here, two a game, two a game, four here, two a game, two a game. And I think those are the things that I much rather would see uh, being a focus of that. But yeah, if they can project that six to a game they had at the in the last six games, then that's a much more reasonable number. Which shows that his defense has it in them. It, it showed that they're capable of it. And even within kind of what they did, you know, they, they had those they had the that big game of five. But it's not like they didn't also have others. I mean, in that six game stretch. They had three games. They had two t- forced turnovers, and they were big turnovers. I mean, you had two against Syracuse; those were big. You should have had three. I, I still don't still don't know who was offsides on that that Brandon uh, uh, the play. Benjamin Morrison tipped the ball in the end zone, and Brandon Joseph picked it off. Ryan and I were right there. Like I, I still don't see who's offsides. I didn't think that was a very good call. But you had two that game, including a pick six. 
you had two the next game against Clemson. They were huge. They set up two touchdowns. And then you had two against South Carolina that 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 were 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 important turnovers. They weren't quite as impactful as the other ones. And so, you know, if you're giving me two a game and they're impactful, I can live with that. Definitely live with that. That's pretty good. It gets you in the top 10 to 15 and turnovers and you're impacting the game. So I, you know, that that's certainly a part of it. Certainly a part of it. And we had a question at the end too from Chief Brody. It kind of goes along with this. And he said, How bad was the defense getting sacks and tackles for loss last year? See, that's another part of it too, is like the sacks were actually pretty good. Uh, Notre Dame was was one of the better uh, they were they were, I believe they were a top 30 defense. Yeah, the top 20 defense. Notre Dame ranked 13th last year in sacks, total sacks, and they ranked 16th last year in sacks per game. So Notre Dame was good at getting sacks. Notre Dame's problem was, yes, they were ranked high in sacks, but they only ranked 36th in tackles for loss per game, and they ranked 38th in tackles for loss per – I mean, they ranked 36th in tackles for loss, raw totals. They ranked 38th in per game. And the reason I like to use the per game number is because if they had this number and and they ranked here and they were one spot a bunch ahead of a bunch of other teams who only played 12 games, then that's not necessarily as indicative of a number. And sometimes – they can rank here, but it was actually more impressive because teams ahead of them played 14, 15 games. So that's why I like the per game number. But if you're a top 15 team in sacks, top 20 team in sacks, you should be a top 20 team in tackles for loss, if not higher. Because what's been true for Notre Dame in the last two years is they're not a very disruptive run defense. And tackles for loss come from – a high being high in tackles for loss and sacks comes from you're not just getting sacks, but you're getting – tackles for loss in the run game. And that's been the problem that Notre Dame has had is they haven't generated enough disruptive plays in the run game. And so if you're going to be a team that has is going to sack the quarterback, something that Notre Dame did a pretty decent amount this year, then you you need to be more effective in – and a lot of those were I – mean, let's be honest, a lot of those were third down sacks, late in the half, late in the game sacks. So some of those were hollow sacks. But this is, needs to be a more disruptive defense. If you're getting more tackles for loss – it, you're going to get more sacks. And what I mean by that is if you're getting more tackles for loss, run game tackles for loss, it means you're putting them in more second and long, third and longs, which is going to then create more opportunities for sacks. If you're putting them in more more long yard situations, you're not just increasing your opportunity for sacks, you're also increasing your opportunity for turnovers. And, and that's where you can kind of, you know, uh, tackle for loss comes from the best time to break up, a ball, to get the ball out of a running back's hands is within the first second and a half that he's, he's been given the handoff first two because then he's there's there's maybe he doesn't have control of the ball maybe he's in the process of transitioning you know there's all types of things where those come from being disruptive getting the ball getting into the backfield and making disruptive plays in the backfield that only not only leads to tackles for loss but that's when you can force a fumble out it also puts you in more second and 12s third and 11s to where then that also increases your chances to turn the football over so I think those are things I look at. It's the disruptiveness that then leads to more turnovers. And I think that's where Al Golden's defense needs to get a lot better is be more disruptive, especially when you're talking about disruption in the run game. Michael S. says, why is Notre Dame D-line going full toward three-man front? Doesn't that make Notre Dame easier to run on and not get pressure on a quarterback? Please explain. We're going to have to do a show on this because, number one, number one, Notre Dame is not going to a three down front. Notre Dame would like to do what Marcus Freeman has done. And that is be multiple three down, four down, mix it up, be varied. Number two, 
the notion that you can't be run on or you, you are easy to run on in a three down front is completely misguided. Do y'all know that Georgia's a three down defense? Do y'all know that when Alabama was giving up like eight, nine, ten points a game, they were a three down defense? Right? Notre Dame is not trying to run TCU's defense. They're not necessarily trying to run Marcus Freeman's defense at Cincinnati. They're trying to run a hybrid three down, four down defense. Sometimes against some teams, that's going to look like a pure three, three, five. Against other teams, it's not. And that's why they want to be multiple. But also the notion that as a three down, you can't stop the run is misguided. Any defense can stop the run if you coach it correctly and have the right players. That's that's just a fact. Here's the deal. Say, well, as a three down, you're more vulnerable to giving up the run. But there's teams that run four down who suck at stopping the run. So if it's about the number of front, number of plays you have up front, then why isn't every four down team really good at stopping the run? Or is it coach what you know, recruit to what you know, and then get good players and then coach them up, right? And the key to being a good run defense is being aggressive and being gap sound and being able to tackle. You can be gap sound out of a three down look. You can be gap sound as a four down look. You can be gap sound out of a five down look. You're not going to be real sound in the pass game, but you can be gap sound. If you're aggressive and gap sound and you're coached well, you can be successful. Now, here's where I will grant you this, Michael. I think the margin for error of being a good run defense is is a little wider, is a little greater, excuse me, backwards. It's a little narrower out of a 3-3 look. I do think that's accurate. I think if you're a 3-3 defense, like a a 3-3 stack like TCU was, your margin for error is much narrower because it's a, a, a linebacker has a greater risk of missing a gap from depth than a defensive lineman does, in my opinion. And so depending on what they're, they're you're calling. So I do think that you can maybe potentially have the risk of you might be more vulnerable to maybe a big run here or there. But I think there's some other advantages you have in that I think a three down, if run correctly, again, more of a three down hybrid where you're going to have that third linebacker is going to be a little bit more of a, a Josh Burnham type, a Jordan Patelho type. I think in those situations, I think that can create more disruptions, more negatives, uh, more minuses, more getting tackles for loss and early downs. Yeah, you may give up a run or two here, but you're going to be less vulnerable. You're going to be more – they're going to be more vulnerable. The offense will be more vulnerable to you creating negatives because you can do a lot more games. And I'm talking quick hitting games. So, like, to do line stunts out of a four down, it takes longer. I mean, it's kind of like you got to slant in, you got to loop around. It just – it's more – you can catch it. And and beat it. Like I always love teams that like to slant and stun a lot because I knew if you if I catch you in some of them, I'm gonna keep running zone because I catch you in one of these, I'm gonna open up a huge hole. And and then in order to do a linebacker stunt with a, a four down, you got to now make sure that you're bringing at least five guys. Well, now so I have some numbers on the perimeter that I like. Out of a out of a three down three st- a stack, you can play a lot more quick hitting line games with your linebackers and still only be four guys. So I think there's, there's some advantages there. So again, it's just every defense has some give and take everyone, just like every offensive system has some give and take. If you recruit players that fit your defense, if you have talented players 
if your kids know how to execute your defense at a high level, you're going to be successful if you have the players. If you don't, then you're not going to be successful. If you have the players, but you don't know how to coach it, or you're asking guys to do things that they're not suited for because you're dead set on being a four down or a three down, then you're not going to be successful. And so I think Notre Dame is looking at the talent they have. They have a lot of big end types. They have a lot of hybrid type edge rushers. And they can recruit that a lot. What they can't recruit are those just dominant, interior, bust-you-up type of inside guys. They're they're just – look, y'all can ask for it all you want, and I can ask for all I want. There's not a Jordan Davis out there that Notre Dame's going to get. It just – maybe once a decade. I mean, when was the last time they got a Lewis Nix? It's 2010 class. And they haven't gotten one since, right? So you can't build your system around – hopefully getting that guy that you just struggle to get right so you, you just can't run that and whether that hurts you in a four down or a three down so you've got to find a system that works for what you're trying to do and a very athletic defense can be very effective in a four two five it can be very effective in a three three five or a sort of a three three alignment with three four personnel or you know three three personnel three three personnel with that third linebacker being a hybrid guy there's a lot you can do in that if you know how to coach it. And it's the same thing with a 4-2-5 or a 4-3 or a 3-4. If you know how to coach it and you can recruit to it, you'll be successful if you have good enough players. And that's that's why I say I think we focus a little bit too much on the structure of the defense and not enough on, but can they coach that defense and do they have the personnel for that defense? And I think they have better personnel in 2023 for a hybrid front than they do for just lining. Who's Isaiah Foskey in 2023? Who's that guy? Who's that guy for Notre Dame? They don't have that guy. Their best three Vipers right now are former linebackers. Long, twitchy, former linebackers. So if you just line them up on the edge and have them be Isaiah Foskey, you're wasting their talent. Just like if you are asking Isaiah Foskey to to drop and stack and do all those other things they were asking him to do early last year, you're wasting his talent. These kids have a very different skill set than Isaiah Foskey. And they've got a lot of 6'4", 6'5", 270 plus guys can be that may be better four eyes than they are three techniques. And so they're building to that, I think. And so I, I think it's smart, even though it's not the defense I personally would want to run. But right now, Notre Dame feels they have the personnel for that and they can recruit to that. And because people ask them, like, you guys are recruiting a lot of big ends. Yeah, because they can get big ends. What they can't get is butt kicking nose tackles and Keon Keeley, right? That's just Damon Wilson. They're just not able to get those guys right now. But they can find a lot of linebackers that they can kind of grow into that. So that's what they can recruit to. And so they're trying to recruit to it. So it's a good question, Michael. I just we Ryan, we need to do a show on that here soon about explaining how to stop the run out of a three down defense. Maybe that'll be one of our insider film breakdowns that we put on the message board because it's hard to do that without film. And we can't put film on here. Otherwise, we don't get monetized unless you all promise to give us a bunch of super chats. if we're going to do that show because we won't actually I don't even know if if. We can demonetize. I don't even know if we get super chat. So I'm not, I'll have to see how that works. Anyway, what's the next question we got, Ryan? I know we're getting towards the end. This is uh, from Sean Rogers. Brian, can you rate the safeties one to six pre spring? I assume Watts is number one. I would say, yeah. Uh, going into pre spring, I'd say Watts one, Ramon two, DJ Brown three. Probably go Adon Schuler four, Ben Minich five, and, um, Brandon Hillman six would be, and, and Brandon Hillman could quickly rise up there, but he's still the most raw. I think you could have some debate, Ryan, between four and five with Adon and, and 
spend minutes, but I think right now I'm, I'm going with Adon. I think Adon's just a little bit phys- more physical, a little stronger. But it also depends on what your needs are. If they need a guy that can play over the top of the defense, then guess what? Ben Minich is your guy for that in the freshman class. If you need a guy that's going to be more of an alley player, Adon Schuler's more your guy for that. If you need a guy that's more of a cover player, maybe that's Ben Minich. It just depends on what the needs are. But that's where I would go right now. You could have some debate with some different places, but that's my ranking right now. How would you feel about David Shaw being head coach of the Broncos? Man, I hope that they hired D'Amico Ryans. That's what I hope, Jason. I really hope they hired D'Amico Ryans. Look, I, I have a lot of res- respect for David Shaw. I just, I'll tell you this, I wouldn't be upset about it. I wouldn't be excited about it, but I wouldn't be upset about it. I think I can coach quarterbacks. I think the guy knows offense. I just don't think he wanted to deal with college anymore. I don't think he wanted to recruit anymore. I don't think he wanted to deal with teenagers anymore. I think David Shaw would be better pro coach than he was what he at Stanford the last few years. I, I do. Um, but here's my question. He really struggled putting together a good coaching staff in recent years. If I felt confident that David Shaw was going to be able to put a good coaching staff together, I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm joking about D'Amico Ryans, but I'm fine with that. If I knew he could put a good coaching staff around because when David Shaw had a good coaching staff around him, he was very good. And that's true for all head coaches. It's just recently, he just didn't show he can make the tough decisions. Now, for all we know, maybe he was handicapped. Maybe Stanford wouldn't allow him to go out and get better coaches. I don't know, um, but uh, I wouldn't be upset with it, but I just kind of want fresh blood. But at this point in time, I have no faith that it, whoever the Broncos hire is going to be any good because they've made so many bad decisions. I mean, think about, think about this. They chose Vance Joseph over Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. I mean, do I need to say anything else? I mean, I'm trying to remember who was the guy. There was an up and coming coach that they took, they took Vic Fangio over. And I'm trying to remember who it was, but they have made some really bad coaching decisions in recent years that you're just like, oh my gosh, Um, it's been frustrating. So hopefully they get it right. Hopefully they get it right this time. But uh, honestly, either one of those guys, D'Amico Ryans or David Shaw would be way better than Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, just, and Vance Joseph. I mean, those were just horrible hires, but I, I still won't understand why they didn't go for Kyle Shanahan over Vance. I have no idea why they made it and that did he go he went what two years i think vance joseph went like two years and got fired nathaniel hackening make it through one I mean, their track record of hiring coaches is just abysmal and they probably should have fired vic fangio a year before they did if we're going to be honest about it uh it's just ugh, not good not good chief brody says if notre dame can only win one of ohio state usc and clemson next season who would you want uh who would you want to beat uh, they went out otherwise and finished ten and two for me, Ohio State to get that monkey off their back. That's probably my pick. I I hate questions like this, Chief, and you know this because I don't want to accept that they're going to lose two of those games. But I've seen about this lately, and and I'm with you. I, I just number one, I want to beat Ohio State. I'm just so sick of Ohio State, and I'm so sick of their coaches. Um, just you know, just kind of having. There's just some of their coaches I really like. Some of them I just dislike a lot. And and Ryan Day has increasingly gotten on my nerves. But I just – that's a big win. That's a big national win. You lose – but but then again, if you lose to USC, it's like, man, that kind of takes some of the sting off. So – but I, I just – I think Ohio State moves the needle a little bit more than the other ones. But I'd still rather win two of those three, if I'm, if I'm being honest with you. Kevin Harden asked, talking to my dad, taking my dad to South Bend for the first time for his 50th birthday for the spring game and then again for USC. Do you all have any recommendations, tips? You know, Ryan said something the other day that I think is great recommendation for anyone that has never been here before. Spend as much time as you can on campus. 
and and taking all the things like taking the pep rally on Friday, do the trumpets under the dome, like definitely do trumpets under the dome. Uh, make sure you're there for the player walk and for the band to come in. Just see all the sites, get down to the grotto, go to the Basilica, do all that stuff. Just really soak in, walk around campus and see all the statues. There's just so much amazing stuff at Notre Dame. Um, that, that just, it's just a beautiful campus. So be on campus as much as you can. I mean, that's really going to be the big thing for me. And my recommendation for me is, um, is, is, is do that. So, um, I mean, to me, that's, that's the best part about it. If you can do that, I mean, just soaking in. Now there's some things in town that you can do, but like, you know, go to Rocco's, for example, I would tell you to go to Rocco's. If you, if you want pizza, there's a little local place, but like, People always ask me about restaurants to go see, and I'm like, I'm not, that's not really my thing. Um, you know, I, I like a good pizza place, but other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm more of a chain guy because a lot of stuff I just, I make at home. You know, it's like, I don't need to find a restaurant that makes really good fettuccine Alfredo because I make a good fettuccine Alfredo. So, I, you know, I don't need to find a place that makes good fajitas because my wife makes amazing fajitas. So I just, you know, but the stuff as far as seeing campus, and ever since they the Hall of Fame left South Bend, uh, it, there's that's not there either. So just spend as much time on campus as you can. That's the best part about it. And of course, you know, if we're having we'll have a tailgate for the USC game. So come join us. Come say hi. Love to meet y'all. Brock Fonville, do you think Sam Hartman could develop enough under Tommy to maybe close the gap between him and, and like Drake May? Oh, look, close the gap as far as an individual player? No. I mean, Drake plays just a better, a better talent close the gap from the standpoint of effectiveness within the offense and what you have around him. Absolutely. Cause here's the thing. Drake may is always going to have more talent than Sam Hartman. It's never going to change, but I'll argue this. And, and, uh, and I'm pretty sure Ryan would agree with me on this and everybody else on my staff would agree with this. And I think most of you will agree with this. The town around Sam Hartman is going to be a lot better than what Drake may is going to have around him. So the question is, is the talent gap enough to where if Sam Hartman can run this offensive efficiently, He's a more effective college quarterback than Drake May. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, I see that, and I think that's something that I could certainly see. There, there's no doubt. I, but but as far as like NFL draft prospect, who's got the more physical tools, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, no, it's not going to be that. But who, who's going to be the better college quarterback? I could see Sam Hartman being that guy because of what's around him. Now, of course, the argument would be not the argument, but the point is be if you flipped them and you put Sam Hartman in North Carolina and Drake made their name, it's not even close, right? It's not even close. But I can name you 15 quarterbacks that have better talent than Stetson Bennett just off the top of my head, including half of the SEC, you know, but it's he was perfect for that system and that team. And that's why they were so good. And and to me, Sam Hartman, when you think Sam Hartman, think more, think more Stetson Bennett. Think more Mac Jones. Don't think Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, Drake May, Caleb Williams. It's a different kind of kid. Because if you're wanting to be that, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're looking at a guy that can run this offense at a high level mentally and get the ball where he needs to go, Mac Jones type, Stetson Bennett type, that's to me what Sam Hartman can be, in my opinion. All right, I think this is the I think this is the last one here, real quick. It says uh, Ryan. This is from Double R. Ryan Roberts, get better, sir. So Ryan, you got a lot of good wishes coming there for you. This entire staff is phenomenal, and led by Mister Driscoll is simply the best college football podcast in its category. This is that is one thing that is not debatable. 
IB Nation. Double R, I really appreciate that very, very much. It really does mean a lot to us. Um, I do think we have a great staff, and I and, and we are hoping that we're, our show is going to keep getting better and better and better and better and better. We're going to work on some things to kind of change it up a little bit and 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 have some more fun with it, like the football 101. And, you know, for, of course, as soon as we start talking about doing football 101, Ryan gets hurt, you know, so, you know, he, he's on the injured list right now, but we'll get him back here soon enough. But we appreciate that very, very much. That's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Uh, and Double R, that's a great way to end the show today. No question about it. Before we leave, folks, please hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Sign up for the message boards at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter to get all of our content from Irish Breakdown, which is all free. All the stuff at irishbreakdown.com is free. Uh, we only charge for the premium content on the board, which is about the community and the in, in, the intel that we will put out. So you can see that at boards.irishbreakdown.com. We do have a new deal kind of going on that if you sign up for the message board and you're if you're a to sign up for the booster club, which is the gold or excuse me the blue or shamrock club, uh, they're different level rates. You get a free IB mug club, IB club mug. So it's just a it's, it's this. Basically, but it says IB and says IB Club on it. It only goes out to to go to to Booster Club members. If you sign up for the Gold Club, you will get a free the, this mug plus an IB uh, Gold Club T-shirt. Uh, we have navy blue, Irish green, charcoal gray, and pink. Uh, so if you if you also if you are a member and you want to upgrade to the Booster Club, you get those perks as well. So if you're going to sign up for the message board and you want to support Irish Breakdown beyond just the normal fee. Uh, four ninety nine a month or forty nine 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 a year. You can also join the booster clubs and uh, get a little bit of a little bit of cool merch that only the club members have. This is not something we sell in the store. I don't give this to to you know Vince isn't going to have one. Ryan's not going to have one. I'm not going to have one because I'm not in the gold club. Uh, so uh, this is only for those people that have supported us the way that they have. If you are a member and you have not got, if you have not kind of made your request for those items and you already are a Shamrock or Gold Club member, just shoot me an email at Brian at IrishBreakdown.com. And we'll get you squared away because if you've already signed up for this before the deal went into effect, you still get the perks of it. So, uh, you know, you you all supported us when you didn't have a benefit to have. Uh, So we're definitely going to take care of you. So that's definitely something also that we have here going on at Irish Breakdown. So, uh, folks, we'll be back again tomorrow. Now, this is going to be it for our shows today. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. Uh, We'll have our Friday mailbag and uh, and get back to talking learning football. So thank you all so much for joining us on the Irish Breakdown podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.